last week we started our series in 1 Timothy, and remember we started in the book of Acts. So go to, go to 1 Timothy in, in your Bible, and uh, if you can't find it, just go to 2 Timothy and go back one, and you'll be right there. And, um, you know, last week we looked at how Timothy and Paul got together. Remember, Paul was preaching in Lystra, and, and he was preaching the truth, right? And he said, there's only one truth, and what you people believe is not just a little bit off the mark. It's not just not right, quite right. It says it is worthless. And we basically said that Paul, when he preached, preached that there's one way to, to heaven, one way to know God, one way of salvation, one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. And every other way ultimately is worthless. It may have some value in terms of your ability to get along with people here on this earth, but when this vapor of a life is over, you'll be in hell. So that's pretty worthless, I think. So Paul says, what you believe is worthless, that upset them. They stoned him, they thought to death, stripped him of his clothes, and threw him outside of town. And he woke up and didn't even take an afternoon off, and he came back into town, and he began to preach some more. And it was in Lystra that, that, that Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, were converted to the gospel. Now, whether Timothy was old enough to know what was going on in that time, we don't really know for sure. He would have been a young child. He certainly would have heard about it and would have known about it. Later, when Paul comes around and he's wanting uh, a young man to, to mentor, he says, Who, who's, who's, who's really faithful? And they said, Timothy. He said, come and go with me. And they spent 15 years together. And remember, I told you last week that because Timothy was, his, he, was, he, was his, he was from a family, remember, where his father was not present. Most likely, his father had died. So he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. And his father was Greek. His father was not Jewish. So he came from a home that was both Greek and, and Jewish. It was a, a, sort of a, a mixed home in that sense, a, and, and a lot of confusion going on there. And when Paul determined that Timothy was going to go and to... Uh, minister and preach and teach the gospel to the Jews, Paul said, Timothy, they're not even going to let you in the door or hear a word you say as a Greek, so you're going to have to be circumcised. So as an adult male, he was circumcised so that he could follow. It is not easy to follow Christ in some way. And now he's going to place Timothy in a church that while it's a good church in Ephesus, there's a lot good going on. It is like every church, there's a lot of difficulty going on. And, and so what we're going to look at, however long it takes, verse by verse, through Timothy, we're going to look really at three things. You're going to see three things over and over and over, gospel, church, and pastor. You're going to see that over and over and over. That's, that's the theme of it, this gospel, the church, and the role of the pastors. And here's young Timothy, and he is here in this church in Ephesus because Paul has placed him there. In some ways, Paul's placed him there. No, not in some ways. Paul has placed him there to come and clean it up. There's some issues. There's some problems. Because in every body of Christ, there, there is the, 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 the body of Christ that, 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 that the Holy Spirit draws together. But there is also, this side of heaven, the activity of Satan. And if we think that's not the case, we are really vulnerable. Even in the church at Ephesus, 
a church that's just a few years old, that's in the first century. I mean, that, it, that even in that church, already there are issues. And Timothy's job is to go and battle for the truth. Remember, the truth is what got Paul beaten five times with 39 lashes. The truth is what got Paul thrown in jail countless times. The truth is what got Paul stoned in Lystra and thrown outside the city. The truth matters. The truth is worth something. And we live in a culture today where people don't want to believe there's any truth at all. Right? If you believe there's truth, you're a bigot and you're hateful. That's what we're told, right? Right? And truth is whatever I want it to be. Whatever, you know, and we shade we shade words and we 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 are we, we kind of give ourselves wiggle room and 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 the truth doesn't really matter and and all things are all right and you know we've all seen or maybe you haven't but I've certainly seen churches that will advertise and their websites or their signage or social media you know all faiths are welcome here uh, well maybe welcome but all faiths are not equal all, everything can't be true at the same time. I mean, if somebody, somebody you, if somebody, you walk outside your, you walk outside your house and you get in your car and someone there with a gun actually takes your car and throws you to the ground and 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 takes off and you write down the 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 uh, license plate number and you call the police and a few blocks later they arrest the guy and a few weeks later you show up in court. You tell the judge, this is the guy, he stole my car, I took a picture with my cell phone, he was driving away, this is him. And the guy says, nope, that wasn't me. Well, all of a sudden now, you believe there is ultimate truth. Oh, you've just become someone who believes, you, you didn't think there was ultimate, sure there's ultimate. We deny truth when it's convenient for us. Okay? So you're going to see that over and over and over. So Paul is there, he believes. And, and, you know, Paul met the truth face-to-face, right, on the road to Damascus. And we'll talk about that. So let's take a look at Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. This is a letter. This is a letter from Paul to his son in the faith. I mean his son. I mean Paul has become a dad to this guy. Fifteen years of living together, walking together, sharing meals together, sharing time together, loving one another. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope. Father, bless the reading and the speaking of your word with power and with meaning today. Amen. What do you think? Doesn't doesn't Timothy know who Paul is? (laughs) I I mean, you probably never even thought about that. How come in and you just say, hey, Timothy, I mean, Paul, and then he, but he, this first verse, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, all right? It's inspired, every word of it, from the Holy Spirit. It's true, it's inerrant, it's infallible, and it's, it's through time, God has provided that it be maintained so that we have it here today in Pleasant Hill. But every word is meaningful. So why would you write a personal letter to a son and say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior. And why? Paul has some authority over Timothy. And the authority he has over Timothy does not come by himself, but by what God has given him. All right? 
Paul says, I'm an apostle, not, listen, not because my parents thought it would be a good thing for me to do. I'm an apostle not because I looked at other apostles and thought, now that's the kind of life I want. I'm an apostle not because I want to help people and I believe in things and, and I want my life to mean something. Paul makes it clear, not just here, but abundantly clear. I'm an apostle because I was commanded by God. In other words, I had no choice in this. And one of the things I spend so much of my time doing is working with men who say, I, I want to be a pastor, okay? Then let's really talk about what that means because I don't care whether you want to be a pastor or not, <laughs> I care whether or not God has commanded you to be a pastor or not. Because we got a lot of men who want to be pastors and who become pastors who were never commanded by God to be a pastor, ever. And Paul makes it abundantly clear, I was commanded by God to be an apostle. And also that sets an authority that Paul has over Timothy in that sort of apostolic way. Timothy, I am your authority. And it comes from God. Now, here's what I want to say about that. I don't want to get too far into Mother's Day talking about parents, but here's the deal. Listen, check this out. Having authority over your children doesn't mean you don't love them with great passion. Paul's relationship with Timothy is deeply a love relationship between a father and a son, but it's also one where God has given Paul specifically authority over Timothy. You as a parent, have authority over your children, that does not conflict with the fact that you can love them dearly and and immensely and and overwhelmingly. But sometimes in today's culture, we think, well, in order for my kids to like me, I can't have authority over them. I I can't discipline them. I can't give them rules. Now, for grandchildren, it's a whole different deal, right? It's true. I get that. But for children, it's children. I make fun of that, and I shouldn't because... Actually, it's a struggle for us as grandparents to respect the authority of the parents because we like to give the grandkids everything. It's true. When my, when my sons were little and they would go see my mother, she would always have a bucket of quarters, and she would always give them quarters. I'm thinking, this woman never gave me a dime. What's up? What happened to her in her old age? Now she's throwing money out like this to grandkids. Paul, an apostle, by the command, and then verse 2, to Timothy, my true son. I, I, just, I hope if you don't hear anything else I say today, understand that, that having authority as a husband, having authority as a parent, having authority as a leader in a church, having some kind of authority does not negate the deep and abiding love you can have. It's a God-given order of things. Don't we realize the whole reason our world is falling off the rails is because God-given order is thrown out? So here he moves from, I am an apostle by the command of God. That that carries authority. But now, verse 2, to my Timothy, my true son in the faith. I love this part of, of the sermon. I love this part. You have two families. You have your biological family, of which you had absolutely no choice. And there are some of us in this room who are doubly blessed, all right? Some of this room, and myself at front of that line, all right, front of the line, 
To whom much is given, much is expected. Front of the line. You, you just don't get any more godly parents than I had. My dad was a far more godly model to me than I was to my children. And that's not, that's just a confession and a repentance. My father, my father never made any, I was telling Jill the other day, I, I, even my dad seldom watched television anyway or ever went to a movie, but he, and it's in a, well, when I was a little kid, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian yet. I was about six years old, and I, I, I kept wanting to walk down the aisle, you know. And my dad was like, I think maybe it's just because your sisters are Christians, and I'm a pastor, and you want to be part of the family. And I'm not sure you really know what it means yet, Mark. And, and I, I remember having those discussions with him. And we had one theater in, in Chillicothe, the town I grew up in. It was uh, one theater called the Ben Bolt Theater. So I played one movie. And, you know, I'd always want to, you know, they, every now and then there'd be a movie that I'd see advertised on TV and I'd want to go. And my dad would always say, you know, this is, this is you know, I'm, you know, I'm, this is, I, was, I was six years old, so this is 20 years ago. So every now and then, every, every now and then, you know, I would, and my dad would say, no, we, we don't go to movies. Now, look, I want to talk about legalism here in a minute. And that's legalism, frankly, frankly. My, but, but the reason he was legalistic was because he pastored a whole church of people who were legalistic. And if he's, anybody in that church saw us in a county seat town walking into a movie theater, it'd be worse than any. So that was the whole point, just because we just don't want to mess with it. So he, so he finally, I was, there was a Walt Disney movie that came out. I don't remember what it was, but it was a Walt Disney movie. And I was begging my dad. I said, can't we go? He says, no, we don't go because we're Christians. I said, well, I'm not a Christian. It's true. I did. I actually said that. Just stopped him in his tracks right there. But I was doubly blessed. I had a wonderful biological family that loved me without question and cared for me every day of my life and prayed for me. Some of you had, didn't have that. Some of you, you grew up like Timothy in a home that didn't have two parents or a home that was divided or, or even worse. And so we have, a, we have two families, right? We have our biological family, which we, we, didn't, we didn't choose. But then, here's the great, and it's temporary, all right? It's so temporary. It's just while we're here on this earth. It's just a vapor. I know, look, I know, I know we, we get to heaven. You know, you know, I like bluegrass music. We're going to talk about that later while I'm here, but and not today, but in my term here. I love bluegrass music, but most bluegrass music when it comes to theology is, is about as lame as it gets. Most bluegrass music theology is heaven's great because mama's there. And that's, you know, heaven's not great because mama's there. All right? That's not true. Heaven's great because Jesus is there. That's why heaven's great. All right? And I know when we think, we, you know, we think of our loved ones who've gone on. I understand that. My mom and dad have passed away, and I'm, I'm anxious to see them and be our... But, but when we get to heaven, we're going to all... Everybody's going to be our family. Okay? Now, here's what I'm trying to say. That, that you have a biological family, but here on earth, you have two families, all right? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have your, your biological family, and you have your church family, And for those of you who, who've lost your parents to death, for those of you whose biological family lives far, far away, for some of those of you who, who, who've been disappointed or have some difficulties in your biological family or whatever, the church family can even become... In fact, even for those of you who have a good biological family, all right? I, I, you know, I, I wish I had the picture of it, but I don't. But there were some young men at Warnell Road that, that I mentored, a couple of, couple of groups of them, uh, and, and I kind of reloaded, and, and I had six or eight at any given time, and they became elders... And, and I would meet with those young men on a regular basis. 
and they were all about half my age. And listen, I want to tell you something. After meeting with them and sharing life with them and, 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 and hanging out with them and, and being with them, and some of them I still spend a lot of time with, I, absolutely, this is absolutely true, and I know my son is here today, and, but it's absolutely true. There are things about those young men that I know that their biological fathers do not know. And there are things about me that they know that my biological sons don't know. Because we became such a tight family. And so when Paul says, you are my son in the faith, don't just skip over that. The church is not, it is not a club. Listen, if the church is like a country club, we're a pretty bad one because we don't have a pool, we don't have a golf course, we don't have any tennis courts. And for the olds of you over 60, we don't even have pickleball courts, all right? So look it up. So, so I mean, if we're a club, we're not a really good club. I mean, we're, we, here's what the church is. The church is a family. And we love each other. We care for each other. And, and we support each other. And, 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 and it, it can become so vitally important. Your local church is your family. That's so cool. It's such a, in a world where families are so dysfunctional and families are so distraught, the one thing I think the church doesn't fully grasp and understand is the absolute sweet and wonderful opportunity we have to be family for people who desperately need family. And when that, what that means is when, when people wander into your church, you don't just ignore them. You don't, you're not, you, you, and you do a great job here. Of course, you know I'm your interim, so you're going to be nice to me. But I assume you're nice to everybody. But it's important when, when people come in that you embrace them, that you talk to them, that you sit by them, that you invite them to dinner, that, that you, you, you reach out to them. And then when, when they become, when God builds them here and they become part of your church, that you embrace them as family. And listen, what do you do with family? Don't a lot of times, you know, do, do you, uh, oh, man, do, do you love everything your brothers do? Well, of course not. But they're your family. So here we see Paul, first he talks about his authority, which, which he, he realized comes from the Lord and, and, and command of God. And, and when you look for a pastor, I told you last week, one of the first things you need to look for is a pastor who doesn't feed off of his people, but who feeds his people. One who doesn't need the affirmation of the congregation, but his affirmation comes from what Christ has done in his life. And secondly, you need to look for a man who you know has become a pastor by the command of God. My son in the faith. And then we'll, we'll just get to set. We'll just do two verses today. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you could look at those two verses and go, okay, now let's get into 1 Timothy. Right? You could. You could, you could look at it and you go, okay, let's, look, let's do 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God and Savior, Jesus, hope to Timothy, my true son of the faith, grace, mercy, peace, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, I urge you as when, I can't wait to preach the third verse, by the way. It's one of my favorite topics in the Bible, and I would, oh, I would love to dig into it, but I won't. I won't, because that will bring you back next week, right? Maybe, if the Lord doesn't come. If he does come, we'll talk about it in heaven. If you're redeemed. If you're not, you better get that way so you can talk about it in heaven if the Lord comes. I, I love verse 3 and following. I just, it's almost become in many ways, it's just so personal to me. 
But, but verses 1 and 2 are not to be ignored or, 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 or passed over, especially this sentence in verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. That shows up. Listen, that shows up in every letter Paul writes. Why? It's just three words, three churchy words. It sounds, hey, grace, mercy, peace to y'all. Is that what that means? Is Paul just sort of filling in until he gets to the heart of the letter? It is the heart of the letter. It's the heart of the gospel. And the problem in the church at Ephesus is there are people who've wandered away from the gospel. They've gone to legalism, they've gone to, they've gone to fussing, they've gone to arguing, they've gone to picking their own corners, they've, they've gone to all kinds of other things, and they've left the gospel, which is exactly what Satan wants us to do, because the only source of real joy in our life is knowing the gospel. That's it. Okay? And so Satan wants to do everything he can do. To, so here he says, he, he uses these three words, and here, grace, mercy, All right, grace. Grace is stuff you're given you don't deserve. That's what that means. Grace, God's love and affection. God's God's adopting me. I mean, as worthless and penniless, adopting me. You remember the story, and I know I told you last week, Jill wasn't here, but I told you when we were in Montreal, and I'd say, you know the story? Remember I told you the, the Lebanese baker stood up and said, would you quit doing that because we don't know any of those stories? So I'll try to tell you the story. In the story of, of, the, in the, story of the prodigal son, when the kid runs away and he lives his life in sin and he repents of that and he runs back home, he has spent what? He has spent his, his, his days, his recent days, where? He spent them in a pigsty. He is covered in, in manure. He's covered in dirt. His hair is matted. His clothes are, are tattered. He, he has dishonored his father. He's dishonored his father's name. And check this out. He has wasted the money his father worked so hard for. And he, he finally realizes, I'm going to die if I don't get something to eat, and at least my dad will treat me like a servant. And he repents of what he does, and he begins to come home. And the Scripture says, while he was still a long way off. I love that. His father's, father's never, his father's looking. Well, he's still a long way off. I have a friend named George Bajakli who was born in Lebanon. And George, he, he, he understands things from an Eastern mindset. We, we see things from an American culture. George says, when he says that he was still a, a long way off and he ran to meet him, George said, it's not like, like we would think, you know, like we live out on the farm, right? And we're sitting on the porch, right? And the mailbox is a quarter mile down the road. And we see him at the mailbox. We run full board to the mailbox. George says, no, it's not like that. It's that when he's coming through the town, and the father sees him, and as he comes into town, everybody who saw that young man leave town dressed to the nines with all this money, and all of them said, you know what? That kid will be back, and he'll be broke, and he's going to waste it all. And sure enough, here he comes, full of shame. And his father ran to meet him and walked with him and put his arm around him and embraced him to let the community know this is my son. 
I am not ashamed. And then they get back to the house, and the father says, go and find the best robe and put it on him. Who owned the best robe in the house? The father put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, and then do what? Give him the best meal we've ever given anybody. That is you and me. We've been adopted. We've been embraced. We've been, we've been clothed in the righteousness, not our righteousness, but the, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that we're clothed in that. We are going to be fed eternally. We're going to want for nothing. He, he will, his grace is sufficient to meet all of our needs. What did we do to earn any of that? None of it. It is all God's grace given to us without anything we could return. Grace is what you've been given you do not deserve. And part of the problem in the church, a big problem in the church, is we all have Martha complexes. And we think we deserve to be made much of because we work so hard. We do so much. Nobody cares. I mean, that's just, it's just Martha all over, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of this? Wow, Martha. I mean, in the first century, a woman never interrupted a rabbi preaching. Never. Oh, forget the fact that this is the God of the universe who created it, holds it into place by his mighty power. Just, but she walks, and you know what? She wouldn't have said that if she didn't believe with every fiber of her being that she was right. Listen, just because you think you're right doesn't mean you're right. And she says, Lord, don't you care? Have you listen, whenever you think, man, I just I don't think God cares. Jesus didn't put that thought in your head. And whenever you find your and I and I, every time I post this on Twitter or Facebook, somebody goes, Yes, but we should be. Always, they don't talk that way. That's the way I talk. To them. That's, how I, that's how I imagine they talk, right? Yes, but we should be sure to make sure we let people know how much we love them and appreciate it. Well, of course we should. I'm not being an idiot. But we don't want to make them do it for all the affirmation they get here on earth. Because let me tell you what, we don't deserve anything. It's all free grace. So grace is given to us, something we receive we don't deserve. If you wake up every day and and, and realize, if it weren't for God's grace, I wouldn't be here. Secondly, mercy. As grace is receiving what you don't deserve, all right, you know where I'm going. Mercy, you might want to write this down. Mercy is having withheld what you do deserve. What did that young man who came back deserve? He deserved to be punished for all that he did, to, made, to repay his father if he even could. And, and we're far off worse than that son because, because God is holy, 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 cannot look upon or have anything to do with sin. God must totally, he must totally annihilate anything sinful. And you and I are sinful. The fall of man. The wages of sin is... Sometimes or every time? Every time. 
And you know who speaks more about hell than anybody in the New Testament? Jesus, and I think he knows about it. It's a real place. And we all deserve it. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, you take every good deed you've ever ever done. And every now and then we do a good deed. I mean, some of you do more than, and we do. And, you know, we give money to people or or we give our time or or we volunteer or or we do something good. And, you know, and we, we, and that's fine. I mean, I can't, I can't preach that today. I don't have time. We're going to talk about that next week. But Jesus said, if you took everything you ever did in your entire life that was good, It would, it would be like soiled rags. And I'm serious about this. He's not talking about dirt when he's talking about soiled rags. He's not. And as I said last week, you could give every dollar you have. You could sell your house. You could give your 401K. You could buy a one-way ticket to Calcutta. You could feed the poor until you die, and you're not going to buy one second out of hell with all of that. What we deserve, because we have sinned, is damnation and to be the object of God's wrath for all eternity. It's what we deserve. Some people are saying, well, that's a pretty, you know. Who, but that's, that's what Paul says, truth matters. And, and that's what makes mercy so great. Is that it's not, we're not going to get it. Because of what Jesus done. So grace is, is that which we receive that we don't deserve. Heaven, eternal life, adoption into God's family, the presence of the Holy Spirit. His grace is all sufficient. Anything, any need I have, he'll never leave me or forsake me. That's grace. Mercy is he doesn't punish me the way I deserve it. That has been taken away. And so here's the deal. Through grace and mercy, there then comes peace. It means peace in two ways, all right? First, peace, obviously, between you and your creator. That's where that peace comes from. Without that, there is no peace. You know, at Christmas time, we, we often quote the book of Luke uh, that on earth, peace, goodwill to men, right? I mean, that's, you know, uh, that's what the angel said. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. And that's not exactly the most appropriate translation. On earth, peace to men of goodwill. But here's what that means. Here's Here's... Here's what that means. I realize every time I come here, I preach five sermons. Okay, this is what that means. But I'm your interim. What are you going to do about it? Um, Here's what that means. It doesn't mean because Jesus was born that there's not going to be a war between North and South Korea. It doesn't mean because Jesus was born there's not going to be terrorism. That's not what that means. It's not talking about peace on earth but at that point between men. It means until a redeemer came, there was no peace between the creation and the creator. Got it? The creator had to annihilate and punish the creation. And there wasn't anything we could do about it. But when Jesus came and he became death for us and he became the object of God's wrath and God's wrath was satisfied on Jesus for all who would be redeemed, now there is peace on earth between men who are redeemed and their creator. That's what that means. Okay? So grace and mercy brings peace between God and man, between you and before there was none. You were an enemy of God. The Apostle Paul says, you are an enemy of God by nature. And God interrupted that nature, drew you to himself, gave you the, gave you the faith to repent. You repented. He, 
he, in grace, he adopted you as, as his own to make you his own child, to give you something you don't deserve. And his mercy, he withheld the judgment you do deserve. In fact, what he did with that judgment that you deserve, he withheld it and then he directed it to his own son and laid it on him on Calvary's cross. So through grace and mercy, we have peace with the Lord. And, and this is where he's going to get in to what it means to be a church, all right? And peace with one another. That's how we live in peace with each other. In the church, in your marriage, in the workplace, understanding grace and mercy. Understanding, I don't deserve what I'm getting and I'm not getting what I deserve gives me the ability to live in peace with other people. That's what that means. It's a wonderful truth. And the adversary is constantly trying to rob us of that truth to make us feel like we're not getting, you know, we just don't get what we deserve. Well, better be glad for that. And, and how do you get through the difficult days and the difficult hours? Look, I know life is hard. It's hard. And frankly, in many ways, the older I get, the harder it becomes in a lot of ways. How do you deal with the death of a child? How do, how do you deal with the loss of a family member? How do you deal with disease that weakens your body and there's no cure for? How, how do you deal with the constant financial pressure all around? How do you deal with, with the spousal conflict and how do you deal with parents who, who just, you just name it. And I know in this room, there's so much going on in our lives. And sometimes it feels overwhelming. Again, I don't have time to go to it, but there's a portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says they were doing ministry. And he says, we were burdened unto death. It's one of my favorite Scriptures about Paul. <laughs> I go, hey, I can identify, you know. I, I felt that way too. Even Paul said, we didn't think we were going to survive. The weight of everything that was going on, the, 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 the adversity that we were facing, it was as though we were going to die. And then Paul said, obviously, but God's grace and mercy. So how do you get through those days, those hours, those times when it's, it's painful and difficult? I'm so glad you asked. What did I say about grace? Grace is that which you do not deserve, but you're given anyway. Okay, check this out. There's a whole lot of stuff you're going to be given that you don't have right now. It's called future grace. There's a future grace that awaits you and me. There's a future grace where there's never going to be any more cancer. There's never going to be any more divorce. There's never going to be any more financial trouble. There's never going to be any more pediatric Intensive care units. There's a future grace when none of this is going to happen. And it's certain. It's not maybe. It's certain. And you get through these days when it's hard and difficult. And you say, yes, I know I have God's grace. And I know, I, I know he's made me his child. But, but right now I'm in such pain. Right now I'm in such sorrow. Right now I'm dealing with such depression and such anxiety. And I go, I understand that. The adversary never quits working. But I got news for you. Listen, there's a future grace out there. Put your eyes on that in those days. And you will find strength to continue. A Christian can trust in future grace. 
in eternity, and even in this life. James says these trials and troubles of ours, after all, won't last very long. Your life is like a vapor. And Jesus said, I've gone and prepared a place for you. And I'm going to come back, and where I am, you're going to be also. Some of us here this morning need to hear the Apostle Paul talk about grace, mercy, and peace. We don't have any peace. We don't have peace in our marriage. We don't have peace in our life. We don't even feel we have peace with God. It's because if you are truly redeemed, you are not living daily in his grace. You don't wake up every day and preach the gospel to yourself and say, I am receiving from him. You know, his mercy is new on me every moment. Every moment. And you don't realize every day that I am under a death sentence of God's wrath and hell, but that has been removed. And not just that. Do you realize if God really treated us the way we'd be? I mean, think of how many times he doesn't give us punishment that we deserve. And then when I'm living in peace with God, then I can begin to live in peace with my wife. Not that there's ever a problem with her. It's always me, trust me. But I, I can begin to live in peace with my family. I can begin to live in peace with my, one of my greatest mentors is Pastor Johnny Hunt in Woodstock, Georgia. And one of my favorite Johnny Hunt lines is this. If you don't love people enough, it's because you don't love Jesus enough. And the more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your wife. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your husband. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your enemies. And how do you love Jesus? By realizing the grace and the mercy that his sacrifice provided. You want peace in your life? It's through grace and mercy. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never repented of your sin, and he has drawn your heart to him today and you have realized that, then I pray you'll see myself, one of the elders, someone here, and just say, I want to talk with you about what that means. You can also just talk to the Lord about it. You can just confess and repent your sin, acknowledge that you need a Savior, and ask him to save you, and he will. And then you need to tell somebody about it and let us walk through the Scripture with you and show you what that means. But most of us in this room are his children, and most of us in this room, Satan daily tries to rob us of the joy of grace and mercy that delivers peace. Can't wait till next week when we get into verse 3. Father, I thank you for these dear ones and their faith in you. And Lord, all of us need to hear this today. And I thank you and Paul's amazing obedience to you. He put those three words together in such a way. Lord, help us realize that we do have a family. It's our church family. We thank you for our biological family. But Lord, what a second opportunity to be a family. And thank you for that. And and Lord, as we go through this study of 1 Timothy, may we learn how to protect the family that is the church. And there are some here this morning who really need to get a glimpse of future grace. They are living in the pit. Satan has really blinded them to what their inheritance really is. And Father, there are some here today that are not at peace with you or with anybody. And if they're not redeemed, then draw them to you in saving faith, I pray. In Jesus' name.